go to the Lord in prayer, ask for his guidance, for his insight, understanding as we look at the word. Lord, it is your word we approach. It is your voice we approach, God, to hear you, to hear your voice speak, Lord God, to learn of you, God, your characteristics, your properties, God, to see how you have moved in times past, to see how you move even today, Lord, to see your interaction with Jonah, to see what we can glean from it more about you, God, that we may praise you more, God. That we may be sanctified by your word, God. That we may be encouraged, God. That we may be equipped to your truth, Lord. God, open our hearts. Focus our mind, God. May we not get distracted by thoughts that are in the world. Things that we have to deal with, God. But a heart and a mind that's just right now at your feet, at your knees. Just want to eat and taste everything you say and speak. God, bring understanding, Lord. God, illuminate the text, God, as you've done to my brothers and sisters, God, as you've done to me these past couple of weeks, God. May they be filled with the joy and praise that you've put in my mouth through your word. Oh, God, put your glory on display through your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Jonah. Chapter 1. Verse 4 through 17, a lot of text. I'm going to read through it and we'll come back. It says, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Remember, this is Jonah on the, sh- on the boat running from the presence of God. Five, then the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God and they threw the cargo, which was in the ship into the seas to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below and to the hold of the ship, he's going to the lowest part of the ship, lay down and is fallen sound asleep. Jonah's knocked out. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, How could you do this? For the man knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on, for I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called, look what's happening now. Then they, all plural, called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, Yahweh, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the man feared the Lord greatly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Um, 17 we're going to get to later. So really 16 we're going to stop. We won't dig much there. So this is Jonah. Just a little recap for those who weren't here the first time we went over the first couple of verses. God gives Jonah a command, a commission to go to Nineveh and preach to it. Nineveh was this ruthless nation. And Jonah, caught up in his feelings, leaning to his own understanding, goes and flees from the presence of God. He goes, matter of fact, he goes the opposite direction that God told him to go. He goes to Tarshish. He goes to the direction of Tarshish. And he's doing this. Why? Because he's running from the presence of God. So that's what's happening here 
in verse one through three, God is commissioning Jonah. God is showing his mercy. He wants him to go to these people in Nineveh, call them to repentance. They do it. But Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he's not really liking the Ninevites and he knows God's mercy is so big and he doesn't want them to receive God's mercy. He has that much hatred, if you will, that he doesn't even want a group of people to receive God's mercy and be worshiping God with him. So we see Jonah, he's caught up in his sins, his delusion. He's running, he's filling himself. And in a moment of his defiance, he does not realize the bigness of God because he believes that he can actually run from the presence of God. Not knowing that God is all powerful, all seeing, all knowing. So Jonah is on his ship headed to Tarshish because he believes that in this delusion that God's presence may not be there. So he's going to Tarshish. So Jonah is on a boat, which is really a big feat in itself. It's a big feat in itself that Jonah actually makes it down to the boat pays his fare and gets on there and has a seat. That is a big feat in itself. And it shows the mercy and forbearance of the Lord towards Jonah. Some of you may be thinking, okay, how does Jonah just making it down to the boat? How was that showing God's forbearance, his mercy, his love? How was that showing that? How is God demonstrating that? Well, if some of you Bible scholars are familiar with the prophet in first Kings 13, some of you know where I'm going. In 1 Kings 13, I'm going to just summarize it because there's a lot to explain. But in 1 Kings uh, 13, does anybody remember the man of God or the prophet who was prophesying to King Jeroboam? When that text, God chose a man. He had him go to Bethel and he, had the, he was going to prophesy before King Jeroboam. And once he finished talking to the king, God told him to not leave the town the way that he came. And also that he would not eat bread or drink any water. So this man has got this commission from God. He got this instruction from God. You go do this. Don't go the way that I told you, the way that you came. You cannot drink water. You cannot eat food. But another prophet hears of him going to the king and his son tells him where he's at. And so this other prophet goes to this man of God. And that prophet basically lies to the man of God. He tells him that. God has come to him and said that he should come have dinner at his house. And so the man of God believes that the word of God is true from what he said. So he goes to this man's house. He eats dinner there. And in the midst of the dinner, the man of God, the word of God comes to the, the false prophet, I guess you would call it. Wasn't it? Well, he's a corrupt, shady prophet. I would say that. Um, he comes to him while they're eating and he tells them that your body shall not come to the grave of your fathers because of your disobedience, even though he tricked the man to coming. And so the man of God hears this prophecy. The, 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 the shady prophet basically tells me you're about to die because you disobeyed God. And so the man of God hears that and he raises up from the table and he gets walking on his way. But as he's walking on his way, guess what happens to the man? As he's walking on his way to get back on the correct path that God told him to go, as he's walking on his way, the scripture says that God sends a lion to kill that prophet. That prophet was trying to get back on the path. He was disobedient, but God sends a lion to kill that prophet for his disobedience. That man was a prophet. Guess what? Just like Jonah. That man went the opposite direction of what God told him to do. Just like Jonah. But there were two totally different outcomes. Jonah lives, at least that's what's recorded in the scripture. The other prophet dies. Jonah makes it all the way from Gaff Hepper to Joppa to get to catch a boat. And between him going down from Gaff Hepper to Joppa, he doesn't get robbed on the way. There's no lion sent his way for his obedience. God knows what he's doing. Jonah doesn't break his leg on a rock as he's trying to reach the boat. God, none of that happens to him. He's able to go to the ship. There's room on the ship. He's able to get on. He's able to pay his fare and get on the boat. But the other disobedient prophet is attacked by a lion and killed as he tries to get back on the path that God told him to go down. I'm saying that because I want you to look at your own lives. 
And I want you to look at the grace and mercy and compassion that God has had on you. When I look at my own life, guess what? And I always say this, but there there are people, guess what, that were engaged in the same sin that I was engaged in, that smoked the same thing that I smoked, that drank the same drink that I smoked, that acted the, the, or drink, that, that acted the same way that I acted. And their life has totally turned out totally different. Some are not alive right now because of their sin. Some right now have multiple baby mamas and, and multiple baby mama dramas. Some of them are going through so much. And guess what? We, we've done the same thing. And now I'm up here preaching his word, leading God's people. I can't explain it. I can't explain why the prophet it happened to this prophet it didn't happen to that prophet. I can't explain it. Why this God has allowed me to stand up and preach where I've seen other people who've done the same thing as me go a, a totally different way. I, I can't explain it and I can't figure it out. All I can do is just say, thank you, Lord. And that's the same thing. You say, thank you, Lord, because I, I know that some of you in here have the same testimony as me and Jonah. You never thought you would be here today. Sunday morning, Bible in your hand, praise in your mouth, hands lifted up. That is not where you've seen yourself. Some of you are now married with children, preaching God's words to others, showing love to others. You did not plan that. You were going on a totally different road, but God's grace and mercy came to you and it kept you. You should just say, thank you, Lord. Praise him for what he's doing. So now with Jonah, we, we see that Jonah, he's on a ship. And by God's grace and mercy, Jonah's headed to Tarshish. But guess what? Jonah never makes it to Tarshish. Why? Because a combination of God's mercy, his grace, and his sovereign will. Jonah doesn't make it because of God's mercy and grace, which comes to the form of a storm. See, how do I say this? What? Imagine what could have happened to Jonah. Let's use our Christian imagination. Imagine what could have happened to Jonah if he actually would have reached Tarshish. If he actually would have done in his, his heart's desire, if he actually would achieve, because he was wanting to get away from the presence of God, what if that prayer was actually answered? It wasn't a prayer, but what if that was actually answered? What if when he got to Tarshish, there was no more presence of God? There was no more inspiration. There was no more filling the Lord's presence. There's no more of that. What if God gave him that? No more God. No more hearing his voice. I mean, Jonah was so set on getting away from God that he, this man actually paid to get away from the presence of God. He paid his hard on money to get away from the presence of God. He was that bent on getting away from God, not doing God's will. He was so into himself and his own feelings on how he felt about people leaning to his own understandings that he paid money to get away from the presence of God and his will. And some of us would say, Man, if it was possible that I could pay money to get the presence of God, I would go and empty out my bank account just to get into the presence of God, just to be more closer to him. But yet we see Jonah paying money to run away from the presence of God. God doesn't allow him to do it. Even though God, even though Jonah's running and his disobedience running from God, God's mercy and grace still continues to pursue him. It still continues to pursue him, even as he's walking in disobedience. Do you see the picture of God's grace and mercy towards Jonah in this text? He does not destroy Jonah and his disobedience, but God's mercy and grace continues to pursue him. Do you see a picture of Jonah in your life? God's grace and mercy continuing to pursue you despite you. Despite you doing your own thing, despite you running towards sin, despite you doing the sinful acts and engaging in the sinful acts, God's mercy and grace has continued to pursue you. Thank God that you never made it to Tarshish. See, all of us had plans. All of us had plans prior to Christ of reaching Tarshish. Some of us had plans of becoming filthy rich. 
But thank God you never got there because that money would have consumed you. Thank God you never made it to Tarshish. Some of us had plans of knocking down as many men and women, and I'm saying knocking down as a euphemism for other stuff because we got kids in a place, but we had desires of doing that, which could have led to multiple baby mamas, baby daddies, STDs. Thank God we didn't make it to Tarshish. Thank God that God's grace and mercy kept pursuing you. Some of us had dreams of becoming famous, being well-known, but thank God you never made it to Tarshish because Tarshish would have destroyed you. See, I'm using Tarshish metaphorically as the place so far out of God's will for your life. We did not make it to Tarshish. And many of us didn't make it to Tarsus like Jonah. Why? Because God sent a storm to stop us in our tracks. Sent the storm like in Jonah's case. He sends the storm to stop Jonah from going to the place that he wants to go. I think of our brother Fernando here. He always talks about his moment where God stopped him from going to Tarsus. He always says, if it wasn't for that car accident... It was that car accident to get him straight, to get his mind right. It was that brush with death that had him see that, hold on, I I need Jesus. I'm not right with God. It, It was that moment. It was that storm that God used to bring him to himself to see him clearly. It was the storm that he used. For others, it may have been drug addictions. It's the storm that God used to get your attention to stop you riding your tracks. It may have been the loss of a loved one. It may have been the loss of a job. It may be health problems in your body. It may be time spent in jail or prison. I don't know how God used that storm. But he stopped you in your tracks. And it got your attention. Think about my own life. For me, my, my storm was me moving from Sacramento. I moved from Humboldt to Sacramento going and living in isolation in my apartment, hitting major depression, losing all of my hair and my eyebrows to this autoimmune disease that I have. That was the storm that God used to shake me up, to stop me from reaching Tarshish, the point, the place where I wanted to go, where I was thinking about money and women and doing all of those wrong things. That was the place where God stopped me. He stopped me from reaching Tarshish. Why, when I look at my life now, I look back on my storm and I see it rightly. I look back now and I see it's an act of mercy. It's God demonstrating his love for us that he allowed us to be broken and brought to our knees. Why did he do it? It wasn't because I was deserving. That's not why that mercy and grace came towards me. It's not because I was deserving. I was no different than Jonah. But guess what? It was just his sovereign will. It was just his sovereign election of me. I was called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Sure, he could have used other people to go to the place that he have sent me to share the gospel. Yes. He could have used other people for to, uh, that. He um you. He could use other people. But he decided to use you to go and speak to certain people. See, you have a purpose, my brothers and sisters. That's what I want you to see. Yes, there are many people that can go out, but God has a purpose for you to go and reach certain people. He has a plan for you to go to certain places. He has a purpose of you. I think about in Acts 26, 16, where the apostle Paul, he's on his way to Damascus and he's knocked down by that blinding light. And and in, in Acts 26, the first thing that the Lord says to him, he tells Paul to stand up on your feet. I have a purpose for you. You're a minister for me now. You're going to go to the Gentiles. You're going to go to the Jews. See, Paul had this purpose. And that's the same thing we have in us. God has purpose for you. There's places and people that only he may have you reach. That's the election. And what did Jonah do with that choosing of him? We see with Jonah, Jonah literally ran from it. He ran from God's selection, God choosing him to use him as an instrument. But despite his disobedience, despite him running from God, God's mercy continued to pursue him. And God used the storm to stop him in his tracks. 
Just like what God did with the Apostle Paul, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, on Damascus Road. Paul had plans to go and persecute the church. Paul had plans of doing major damage to other Christians. But what happened? God does not allow Paul to make it to Damascus in that same mind frame. But he goes and he changes it. He sends the storm. He sends a blinding light to stop him in his tracks. Why? Because Paul was chosen for this purpose. He was a chosen instrument. That's what the scripture says in Acts 9 when Paul is blinded and the word of God comes to Ananias and, and, and Ananias is told to go and lay his hands on Paul so that Paul can regain his sight. And Ananias is, is beginning to question God because Paul is this person that's coming to persecute him and other Christians. And, and God tells Ananias, he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine. Chosen. Ephesians 1 4 says this, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would, that we would be holy and blameless before him. See, all of you who truly call on the name of Christ, you were chosen. It's God's election. He, he didn't look down in history and say, oh, because you were good, I'm going to select you. No, it was his sovereign will. It wasn't because of anything you've done. It was just God's sovereign work. That's why we can have nothing to boast about in him choosing us. It's not our work. It's all God's work. So Jonah is chosen here. Now during the storm, the ship, something interesting happens here with Jonah. There's a great storm. And the text says that everybody else on the boat is really going crazy and worrying and stressing, panicking, but Jonah is fast asleep. Everybody else on the boat knows what's going on. They're, they're, they're stressing, they're panicking, but, but Jonah is fast asleep, which kind of, it reminds me of Jesus in Matthew 8 when the storm is raging and all of the disciples are, are scared and they're, they're wondering what's going on and they're wondering why Jesus is relaxing and why? Because Jesus is resting in God's will. And we see Jonah doing the same thing. Jonah's not the same thing in resting in God's will, but Jonah's resting in his own will. Jonah thinks that he's gotten away from God. Jonah thinks he's outsmarted the Lord. So now he's sitting down there asleep, knocked out while everybody else is panicking. Now I want you to take note of this here. God gave Jonah the specific instruction to go to Tarsus. And the storm came because of something Jonah did. But what do we see that's happening in the text? Who are the people that are actually being affected directly because of what Jonah did? It's the people in the boat. Jonah's sin is now actually impacting other people's livelihood because the text says that they were throwing over their cargo. Cargo is their, their stuff that they're shipping. This is how people make their money. They are being affected right now by Jonah's sin, and Jonah doesn't even know it. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, I love the observation that he makes about this text. He says that the Jonah and his sin and the, and the storm is a picture of sin in our lives. How sometimes we are doing the sin, but we're affecting all the people around us, and we don't even know it. And that is the case what's happening here with Jonah. Jonah's sin is affecting all of the people that are on the boat, and Jonah doesn't even know it. He is the reason that is happening. The sin is beginning to affect them, and Jonah's yet fast asleep. See, we don't even see oftentimes all of the negative effects that our sin is having on the people around us. See, you can sin by yourself. But the entire community, the entire family feels the effects. That's one thing you must understand. You may sin by yourself, but everybody around you, the entire community, they feel the effects of your sin. See, the community feels the effects of men that who have lost their lives to gun violence or to drugs or to the criminal justice system or to that woman who was out on the street ready to give up on life because of the sin in her life. See, we lose out if that woman dies. Why? Because I don't know what cure for disease that's inside this woman's mind. I don't know what technological breakthrough that's inside this woman's body. I don't know. But yet we see we get affected by other people's sin. Yes, you may sin by yourself, but your sin, my brothers and sisters, it has a rippling effect. 
See, Jonah's fast asleep in the boat. He doesn't even know about the devastation that he's causing right now. See, some of us, when we were out running the streets in our sin, we didn't even know that mama and them and grandma and them, and them is not a word, but it's just how we talk. We didn't know that grandma, mama, and them, papa, them, guess what? They were up all night worried about you as you're out running the streets, ripping and running. Blood pressure getting all high while you were out dating all types of crazy men and women. Mom, grandma, and them, and family members are out there stressed, worried about you, wondering what's going on. See, we don't even see the effects of sin. If you've ever been locked up in jail or prison, you don't even know the trouble that you've put on your family, the stress and the strain that you've caused on your loved ones around you. See, you can sin by yourself, but the community around you feels the effects. The family around you feels the effects of your sins, my brothers and sisters. That mother or father that's out there living for themselves, out in the world while their children are out there not being parented. Guess what? Their children feel the effects of their sins. It's not just even the right now, but guess what? Because that mother or father is not present to read to their child and, and talk to their child and nurture their child. Guess what? Their child's now, a future's now affected. Things are now happening all in their life. Why? Because mom and dad are not present. And because mom and dad are not present, often in society, the kids run what? To the streets where they find even more problems. Do you see how our sins can affect all around us? And that is what we see in our society, the rippling effects of sin. Politicians go to different policies that they think that could change the situation. They think that is more government programs, more education, more more money. No, we have a sin problem. And so that sin problem is fixed. The problems of this world will remain. So do you see, again, my brothers and sisters, the the far-reaching effects of sin? Do you see what can happen when sin is in the camp? Think about Achan in Joshua 7. And any Bible readers remember Achan in Joshua 7? In Joshua 7, the people of Israel were told that there was a certain amount of things, the gold and the silver, that once they went to war with another enemy and they won, that they couldn't take certain items. And you had Achan who seen the gold and the silver and decided to covet it. And he took it in his tent and hid it. And because of Achan's sin, because of Achan's sin, 36 men end up losing their life as they went to go and spy out on the people of Ai. All behind one person's sin. One person deciding to keep the gold and the silver. One person's sin affects now what? The whole community That's what I mean. Sin can have far-reaching effects, brothers. That's why, as Pastor Brian quotes, uh, I forgot the theologian, we continue to put sin to death in our life. We don't see the effects that it's causing on people around us. So Jonah, sin affecting all the people around him is still asleep in the boat. And he has to be woken up by the captain. And the captain comes to Jonah, we see in the text, and he says, how is it you are sleeping? How is it you're sleeping, Jonah? We're in a storm. The boat is about to go over. We've already thrown over our cargo. Jonah, how is it that you are sleeping? And he tells Jonah something. He tells Jonah, perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish Notice that the captain, he assumes that Jonah has a God that he prays and worships to. Why do I point that out? I point that out to one to show you that atheism was pretty much unheard of for most of human history. It's probably not until the Enlightenment period of the 18th century where atheism really gets a foothold and people begin to embrace it. But all throughout human history, people have believed in some type of God. The other point I want you to see is that Jonah, Jonah lived in a religious pluralistic society. Guess what? Just like us. We know, see, religious pluralism, it's the belief that all religions are kind of equally valid, that all religions, all truth are equally valid. There's nobody that has a monopoly on truth, that nobody can make an exclusive claim. All religions have some form of truth. And as we know, society loves that idea. 
They love that. If you say that, oh, you can believe in Buddha, you can believe in Muhammad, you can believe in that. Oh, we're all, everybody has truth. The, the world would love you for that. And that was the situation that Jonah was in. He was in a religious pluralistic society. That's why the captain comes to him and says, perhaps you're God. He's not saying that, oh, no, there's only one God, my God. But he's saying, no, maybe since our God is not hearing, maybe the God of you, maybe you, your God can hear. So Jonah is in this pluralistic religious society. Uh, I, I'm reading this book. I've been reading it for a while. It's called The Story of the Gods. I think I've mentioned it before. And he just really talks about how ubiquitous, how ubiquitous idols and were, were in this, uh, the first century Roman period. In this book, he describes how in the Roman, in the first century and beyond, and second century, I guess the whole book is really, the book is describing the rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. And he describes how everywhere you went in Rome, there would be like little on corners, there would be some type of idol, some type of deity. And not only did you have like a city state deity or God that you would worship, but each individual family would have their own family gods that they would worship. And so you would have your state gods that you would worship. You would have your family gods. And maybe you went to another country, you found their God. You're like, Hey, I like you. Let's bring you in. And so you had all of these different gods. And if you went to, let's say another person's house for dinner and you seen their God and you're like, Hey, what's your God name? They'll tell you, Oh, I, I want to worship him too. And you would just collect all of these gods. See, it was this really religious, pluralistic society where it didn't matter as long as you had a God you believed in. It was it was valid. And people would even worship Caesar. And they say, OK, you worship Caesar. So that's going to be an idol now that we're going to um, worship. So Jonah in his book or Jonah in his period, he lived in a really religious, pluralistic society. But I want you to show you something real quick. Look what happens in five. I know we're kind of going backwards in five. The sailors are worshiping or crying out to their own gods. They see the storm. They're going to their false gods. They're going to their false idols. They're crying out to them. But then look what happens later on in 14. Look what happens in 14. It says, then they call on the Lord. They have made now this switch. They went from crying out to their false gods in verse five, verse five, crying out to them for help in the midst of the storm to verse 14, where now they are crying out to the true and living God, calling out to him to make a change. The point I want you to see in this is that all false gods will fail. Only the true and living God will rise and truly shine. And that is something, my brothers and sisters, you have to know. Because if we're be honest, sometimes we, when we're maybe going out and doing evangelism, we're, we're, we're out there sharing God, we may say, hold on, I'm just one faith. Like, why are they just going to believe me? Why are they going to believe Jesus over Muhammad? Or why are they going to believe Jesus over Buddha? And I just want to remind you that all these false gods will ultimately fail. It's only the true and living God. He will make himself known to those who we have called. And you got to know that. All of the false gods will fail. The money God will fail. Because you, he will always force you to get more money. You'll never be enough. The, the money God will fail you. The success God will fail you. All of the false gods, all of the idols that we create for ourselves, if it is not the true and living God, they will fail you. And that's why I was really encouraged a few weeks ago when Brother Emil talks about how he was sharing the gospel to a guy and he told him about Jesus. He explained him the true Jesus. He gave him a track and then he said he went home and prayed that God will reveal the true God to him. And that's ultimately all we can do is at certain points. We go and we share the true God and we pray as happened here in Jonah that the true God reveals himself to the people who he has called. And so that's what happens here in verse six. So they get Jonah, they go and wake Jonah up, they tell him to come. And the next thing that happens with Jonah is that they begin to cast lots so they can figure out who is the problem. Why is this calamity coming upon us? So they got Jonah, they got all the people in there, they got the people that worship this guy, that worship that God, and they said, okay, let's get us all together and let's let's cast lots to figure out why this calamity is coming to us because they realize that this is not just a normal storm. This is the work of God. So we need to figure out who's God, who is the problem, why is this happening? See, casting lots was during this period, during the, the ancient time, it was a way where pe how people would make a decision. 
Pagans use it. And guess what? Even the children of Israel, it was used. You go to Joshua in the promised land. That's how the promised land was split up. It was split up by casting lots. So that was just a way that was used to determine the will of God. You even look at the apostles when they were choosing some of the next apostles. They would cast lots. So casting lots was a way to discern the will of God. But we now have the Holy Spirit, so there's no need for us casting lots. But when they cast a lot, when they did this practice, lots were like, by the way, they were like these rocks or bones with symbols on them, and they would cast them. And so when they cast a lot, guess what happened to the lots? The text says that the lots fell on Jonah which should be good news for you. Somebody should be saying, okay, why should it be good news for me that the lots fell upon Jonah? I'm not Jonah. The reason that's good news for you is because if God is sovereign over the lots and the way that they fall, which are just bones, guess what? That means he's sovereign over the next job interview that you go to. That means despite your history, that means despite your background, that means despite whatever has happened, that God, if he is sovereign over the lots, guess what? He's sovereign over the interviewer. He's sovereign over the next employer. See, if if God is sovereign over the lots, guess what? That means he's sovereign over the next business client that you're going to get. If if God is sovereign over the lots, that means he's sovereign over whether your business succeeds or fails. If, if God is sovereign over the lot, he's sovereign whether you get into this school or program. See, that's why that is good news. It lets us know that God is sovereign over everything. The sparrows, the lots, all decisions. He is the king and ruler. Nobody moves his will. Nobody can thwart his sovereign will if he's sovereign over the lots. I can now walk into that interview. I can walk into that school with confidence knowing that my God reigns. Knowing that if it's his will, it's going to come to pass. Why? Because he is sovereign. So God shows here that he's sovereign over the lots. And he's sovereign to the point that he's going to allow the lots to fall on Jonah so that Jonah can begin to witness and testimony, give testimony to the true and living God, to the people right there on the boat. See, despite Jonah's disobedience, God is still going to get some glory from Jonah's life. Even though Jonah runs and hops on his boat, now he's going to use Jonah to give testimony to the people that are right there on the boat with Jonah. See, even in our mess ups and our failures, brothers and sisters, God will find a way to get glory. He will use our mess ups. He will use our failures for his namesake, for his glory's sake. And that is what we see here with our brother Jonah. Despite his disobedience, God is going to use Jonah right where he's at. And he's going to, in a few minutes, as we look, he's going to end up telling them who's God, who's the sovereign God that's over all of this. God can use our mess ups, our failures, our brokenness for his name's sake. Just look at our prison system. There are many inmates that went in there behind sin, behind violence. But guess what? God now has those people born again and they are preaching the gospel in there and they are saving souls. See, God can use our mess ups. He can use our failures, our brokenness. For his glory. And if he's done it in Jonah, if he's using his failures of him walking in disobedience, guess what? He will use you. He will use you in your mess up. So we see now Jonah, when the lots are cast upon him, verse eight, the text tells us this. They say this, tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? And now they begin to question Jonah. They, they're giving him this full 21 question. They're saying, what is your occupation? I'm thinking, what does that have to do with anything? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? They, they want to know now because we see that, hold on, the lots have fell on you. It must be your God. So tell us all about you. Who are your people? What's going on? And look how God just sets this up where Jonah can now give testimony to the word of God. In verse 9, he says this. He says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea that's rocky right now and the dry land. You see how God has used Jonah, even in his disobedience, to go and give himself glory, to show his glory. He says that, no, I am the person who 
the Hebrew and worships the Lord and God of heaven and the seas and a dry land. Now he's giving testimony to Yahweh, the true and living God. God is still working even in Jonah. But the crazy thing about Jonah is what Jonah saying is true, that God is God over the heavens and made the sea. But the first part is not. He says, I fear the Lord. To fear the Lord means you have a reverence for God. But what do we see Jonah doing with the commandment of God? He's actually running from God. He's not walking in diso- He's not walking in obedience. See, see, Jonah's mouth is saying that I fear the Lord God, but his actions is doing a total different thing. He's running from the Lord. He's not really showing a reverence. He's not really showing a fear. We can say all day that we are Christian and that we love the Lord God and that we have our Bibles. But how does your life look? Does your life show that the Lord, he, he's Lord over your life? What, what is your life? life look like because Jonah's life didn't seem to match up here you say you fear the Lord God of heaven and earth but yet you are now running from this God running from his will so that's hypocrisy my brothers and sisters to say that I'm fearing the Lord God with my mouth but my actions look and show something different so Jonah here is not giving true he's not being a good witness put it like that He's a witness that, yes, it's my God. It's my God that is true. It's my God that is causing the, the, the sea to ruffle and move. But he's not giving true witness to the true living God by his life. And we want to avoid that mistake, my brothers and sisters. It's good we tell people about Jesus. But please allow your life. Please allow your character. Please allow the words out your mouth to line up with what you preach. Because it's not so much with Jonah. And what's crazy thing about Jonah is that even the pagans, they had more of a reverence for God than he did. When, when Jonah told them what he did, they're saying um, in, in the text, verse 10, it says, they said, how could you do this? They seem to have more of a reverence for the true and living God. They're, they're wondering, Jonah, hold on, you say you worship this, this God who's all powerful in the sea and you run. How could you do this? Now the pagans are looking at Jonah, wondering how he could do this. And so they want to know, how do we solve the situation? How, how, how do we get out of this? And, and Jonah tells them to throw himself overboard so that be, by him being thrown overboard, the seas would stop since the reason that they're in this calamity in the first place is because of Jonah and his sin. But what we see here with that. What we see with the storm, what we see with the fish that's waiting for Jonah, what we see with Jonah on a boat, we see a major collision happening, a major collision of God's sovereign will and God's permissive will coming together to produce the intended result that God has planned. And what am I, what do I mean by that? God in his permissive will, he allowed Jonah to run and flee. Remember, he didn't allow that one prophet to live. He destroyed that one prophet once he left that the uh, false prophet's house. Remember, he had the lion destroy him. But with Jonah in his permissive will, he allows Jonah to go and get on the boat. But in God's creative will, we see that Jonah has, verse 17 says, a fish that is waiting for him. So what you see happening in this text, you see God's permissive will and God's declarative sovereign will coming together to produce God's intended result. See, this orchestra of God's, of man's sinful action and God's sovereign will is also, guess what, seen in the cross of Jesus. Just like God uses Jonah and his permissive will and his declarative will to carry out his purpose, to have a fish waiting for him so that he may go forward and carry this message to Jonah. God does the same thing with Jesus at the cross. And what do I mean by that? Acts chapter two, Paul, um, the apostle Peter makes this clear. If you go to Acts chapter two, let me get there real quick. Uh, I was just going to quote it, but I want to read it to you. In Acts chapter 2, this is Peter at, at, at Pentecost. And he's preaching. And Peter says this to the crowd. He's going to show us a collision between man's permissive, sinful will and God's declarative sovereign will coming together to produce God's intended consequence, which is Jesus going to the cross, establishing peace between man and God. Look what he says here in chapter 2, verse 23. 
He says, this man delivered over by what? The predetermined plan of God. So God had already predetermined. He says, in foreknowledge of God, look what he says next. You nailed. Now he's bringing in human responsibility. So we're seeing God's sovereign will, God's plan, but now we're also seeing man's free will and God's permissive will. He says, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So even though it's God's sovereign will that this is going to happen, we see God's working in with his permissive will and that coming together, they're now nailing the son of God on the cross. Why? It's going to produce the intended outcome of God, what he wants, which is reconciliation between man and God, peace between man and God. That is the orchestra that we're seeing with Jonah here. The orchestra of God's sovereign will, God's permissive will coming together to, to accomplish God's purposes. See, brothers and sisters, if it wasn't for Jesus, you you, got to understand this. Jonah is a type of Christ. Jonah has been thrown in the water. See, let me put it like this. Theologians actually debate why Jonah said, throw me overboard. Some say that Jonah was trying to commit suicide because he's in a raging sea. He knows that if he's thrown in his raging sea, he's going to sink and drown and he will die. He doesn't have to carry out his will, God's will of going to Nineveh, which seems to fit Jonah because even in the end, Jonah's still like hard hearted. So that is one take on Jonah. Others say that, no, Jonah got a heart and he realized that if he's thrown overboard then he would save the life of the people on the ship. And so he's, he's jumping over into the storms that the storm would stop and that the people would be saved by Jonah's act of heroism. Now, I can't tell you about Jonah. I don't know if Jonah was doing it as an act of heroism, has a heart and he wants to save the people on the boat. Or if Jonah was trying to commit suicide and he just wanted to die and be done with it. I can't tell you about Jonah. But what I can tell you is about Jesus. And Jesus, he intentionally went into the storm of God's wrath for you and I on our behalf. It was not Jesus being forced to do it. But it was Jesus out of a love for you and me that he would go and enter into the wrath of God so that we would not perish. See, Jonah is a type of Christ. When Jonah was thrown into the water, the men in the boat were saved from death. When Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins, we are now saved from the wrath of God and saved from eternal perishing. See, Jonah is a type of Christ. But Jesus, unlike Jonah... It's intentionally going into the sea. He's intentionally coming to her, putting on human flesh. He's intentionally allowing himself to be dragged to a cross. He's, he's intentionally allowing himself to be beaten. He's intentionally allowing nails to be put in his hand. He's intentionally taking on the wrath of God. Why? To give his life as a ransom for many. Isn't that what the scripture says in Matthew 20, 28? Jesus says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That means that Jesus is intentional about entering into the storm of God's wrath on our behalf. That's the difference between Jesus and Jonah. Even the apostle Paul, he's overwhelmed with it in Galatians 2.20 where he says that Christ loved him and gave himself up for him. That's intentionality. That's Christ saying that I am going, I am entering the storm so that you will not perish, so that you will be reconciled to God. It's Christ willingly, the greater Jonah, goes and enters into the storm, enters into the wrath so that we would not perish. He's the greater Jonah. And what do we see happen? What happens when Jonah goes overboard and the seas become calm and peaceful? What do the pagans begin to do when they realize the storm has ceased, that there is now peace? They begin to worship God. The text says that in 16, then the man feared the Lord greatly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Guess what? These pagans are teaching us how to worship. 
See, brothers and sisters, if you now have peace with God through Jesus Christ, your response should be just like these pagan guys. Your response should be giving your life as a sacrifice. Your response should be Romans 12, 1 and 2. To give your body, your life as a living sacrifice. Your response to be just like them making a vow to serve the Lord and his Christ at all the days of your life. That should be your response because you have received mercy. Because Jesus has taken on the wrath of God. Because he has dispelled the storm. Because he has brought peace between you and God. Your response should be just like these pagans here. They're sacrificing now to Yahweh. They went from their false gods in five, calling out to them, to calling out to the true and living God in 14, and then 15, worship him for his glory, worshiping him for the grace that's been bestowed upon them, worshiping, worshiping them, him because of the goodness in the sea being stopped. They are now worshiping God. That should be your response. The wrath of God has been dealt with. Your response should be worship and sacrifice unto God. You're no longer an enemy of God because of Jesus. Your response should be worship and sacrifice unto God. You have new minds and new spirit because of what Jesus has done. Your response should be worship and sacrifice unto God. You are a new creature because of what Jesus has done. Your response should be worship and a life of sacrifice unto God. Because of the greater Jonah. Solving the problem. It's the mercy and goodness of God, my brothers and sisters. Aren't we happy that God's mercy continued to follow Jonah? Aren't we happy that God's grace and mercy continued to follow us despite us to bring us to seeing Jesus as we see him now? And your response has to be sacrifice and a vow to follow Christ all the days of your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your truth, your goodness, Lord. We thank you for sending your son, God, to take on your wrath, Father, to be that sacrifice, Lord, to dispel and calm the storm, to bring us back to you. We thank you, God, for your mercy that continues to pursue us despite our faults. We thank you for your goodness to us, God. We praise you for who you are. We will serve you all of our days. Our life is yours, God. Use us as you please. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we approach you. Amen.